It's one thing I so much appreciate about this house. It's just the hunger for more of God. A hunger for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The recognition that this life is not our own. A surrendered life is the freest life that you can have. Amen? It's so comforting to be around so many passionate people, so hungry for the heart of God. Um, yeah, so this morning, um, I just wanted to highlight the, the theme that we've been in for, for a few weeks. Um, those of you who don't know, um, there was a, a prophetic warning that went out from Andrew a few weeks ago that we should, that we should kind of put a fence around the church and, and, and stop listening to, to other teachings. Um, and that may sound like a bit controlling to some people, um, but it's actually for protection's sake. You know, I think this generation is under many winds of doctrines and teachings. It's probably one of the most informed societies and cultures that have ever existed on the earth. We have more access to information on any subject at any time. It's, it's never happened in history before. And so we can get very sucked into a lot of things that we like to hear. But is it, is it really the spirit of God that we're following? Um, and so, you know, when I heard this, that, that, you know, we should just focus for a time listening to the words that, that, that are coming within the church, um, following scripture. You know, we've been following scripture, you know, week after week. I've been loving it. But, but initially when that warning went out, like, stop listening to other stuff, I was like, okay, who, who you tell me what to listen to, <laughs> what to watch or not. And, um, and I think that, that needs to have some, some understanding uh, given around it. You see, Andrew, um, Andrew is not the head of Josh Jeff. Just like Kevin is not the head of the Durbanville Church. Jesus Christ is, is the head of the church. And he is, he's chosen men to, to give uh, doctrine, set doctrine, and give direction to the church. And he's given them authority over the church. But these men can only have authority if they are submitted under authority. Amen. And, and that's the pattern that God chooses to, to bring life in, into the church. And um, it's interesting, you see... You know, if you look at nature and how nature is perfectly designed to sustain life. If you look at, like, the earth, um, the earth is just far enough away from the sun that it doesn't freeze up and not too close, that it burns up, you know, and it's on an axis, and it spins around, and we have seasons, you know, we have winter and summer, and there's that balance. It's, it's perfectly designed. It's not a cosmic explosion that, that set up this kind of perfection. Order doesn't come out of, out of explosions. And, and if you look at the human body, you know, with all its vital organs, functioning together, you know, heart and lungs and, and stomach and everything. It's, it's perfectly designed to sustain life. The body does not function with all these vital organs. And so the church is the living body of Christ, and there's many people actually within the church today that, that are here in the church but actually separated from the body, not realizing that, that they also are a vital organ within the body that God has designed us to function within. And, and this, is the, this is the flow of God. You know, he uses um, this apostolic order. You see, this, this is God's design. Like I talked about creation in the body. This is God's design. And, and when I say the word apostolic, you know, we think about 
the apostles we have in the New Testament, they, they were radical guys. You know, and you're like, okay, the word apostle gets used very um, flippantly and very conservatively. So a lot of people are, are self-proclaimed apostles in this day and age, and like, I'm a man of God, and, you know, and they, they proclaim themselves to be apostles. But there are apostles, you know, in the earth today that God has established. And, and how is apostle recognized? Well, they're not self-proclaimed, but apostle is recognized amongst the body of, of leadership that they are submitted unto. And that's how, that's how God uses authority. And, and we have the fortunate privilege of having apostles in our church. Okay, And if you, and if you look at the qualification of an apostle, or if you look at the qualification of, of elders or overseers, the Bible talks about, and even deacons, it's not they have these radical theological degrees, they are super anointed, charismatic, amazing communicators. It's, it's all um, character stuff. You know, it's, it's husband of one wife. It's not given up to too much wine, you know, humble. They're, they're ruling their family well. Um, they're able to teach. They must be the most radical, you know, communicator of all. And, and so God puts a big spotlight on character. And so we would listen to teachings from other people and stuff, and people we don't know, we don't actually know their character. We don't know the authority that they carry. But in this church community, I mean, you should, you should know us because you see our lives. And then they should trust the words that are brought forth. Amen? So, you know, even in Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them because God has given them authority to watch over your souls. That's radical. I mean, like, it's, you got your very own personal security guard in the spirit. Isn't that cool? So it's not a controlling thing. It's a good thing. It's a blessing um, to, to submit under leadership. And then we have a responsibility to, to live, you know, lives... Like I said, submitted to one another and ultimately submitted to him. That's the only way that we can have authority and speak into people's lives. Um, so, so why is there this warning? How is it that so many um, people are being persuaded by false teachings and doctrines in this day and age? This is some of the things we're going to talk about this morning. And what makes us so vulnerable to it, that we can be persuaded by these things? I mean, many people you know, have been in the church for years, I mean, 20 years or plus, you know, and they've had truth. And a steady stream of truth, but yet false teachings can easily kind of sneak in and deceive us. And so, you know, this morning I'm just going to unpack that. Like, what, what is the condition of our heart that, that we could be persuaded? Because there, there needs to be certain things in place to protect us from that. Because I would say there's only going to be an increase of more noise and more winds of doctrines. This is what's been prophesied. And so I'm speaking about doctrines that divide us. Because doctrines come in to divide the house and make it ineffective. And also speaking about religion and religiosity. So religiosity also comes into the church. It wasn't just like for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That same spirit still seeks today to come and bring division in God's house. So we must all be aware that Satan's number one objective in instilling false doctrines and false teachings is to divide the church, to make it ineffective. To not reach the world. We have a, our job as a church is to prepare the world for the return of the Lord. And to prepare the church. The bride needs to be made ready. Jesus will not come unless the bride is ready. We think, we think it's like a pre-programmed time. Jesus is going to come on this day. We don't know. You know. Some people try to predict when it's going to come. 
And others just think, well, God's going to make it happen, so I'll just sit around and wait until it happens. We are connected to the return of the Lord. So we cannot let small things divide us because God has a big plan to redeem the church and to redeem mankind on the earth. So we've been warned twofold by our apostolic leaders and by biblical prophecy. So let's pull up uh, 2 Timothy 4, please. It says, for a time is coming. So this was a prophecy from many years ago. The time's going to come, and I believe we are in that time now, when people will not endure sound teaching. Okay? It's like the truth is so irritating, they just can't handle it. They can't endure it anymore. Like, ah, stop picking the truth. Okay? People don't like the truth when it's not what they want to hear. It says, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministries. Okay? So people in this day often gather up teachers and teachings okay, for themselves. It makes me feel good about myself. I gather up these things. And yet we're speaking a different message. And then you have people bringing in other teachings into their hearts. In 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So not at that time, but in the last days, there's going to become times of difficulty where people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Can all the parents identify that this is, this is an end-time prophecy that's being fulfilled here? Okay? Ungrateful, unholy, heartless. I mean, I shared this with my kids. I said, does this sound like this culture in this day and age? Yes, Dad. Lovers of money, lovers of self, disobedient. That's, it's rife in our communities. Um, there's many, many things. Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Mm, comforts. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions. It says, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Isn't that amazing? That's just a, that, that, that Greek, sometimes we talk about that Greek mindset that, that humanity has. Always acquiring knowledge. We want to acquire more and more and more. And it's like we're trying to feed this like bottom of this pit, never arriving to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because the truth is not necessarily information. The truth is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So will information set you free? No. He says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What's he talking about? He's talking about himself. Only Christ can set you free. Information cannot set you free. The person bringing the message can set you free. You see, the gospel we follow is not information-based. It's life-based. In John 1, it says, in him was the life, and the light was the light of men. The light 
of Christ illuminates who you are, what you're doing in, in this generation, and where He is leading to you. It's not, it's not a mystery. If you're connected to the truth, you have the freedom of experiencing the life of Christ and the light for you to follow. You see, religion that is knowledge-based is very different from Christianity that is life-based. And every other religion in this world is, is actually empty because it's all based on unmerited based teachings about knowing things. See, Christianity is, in fact, it's not a religion. When you talk about religion, people say, are you religious? No, I'm a Christian. You know, they put it all together. Christianity is not a religion. There's nothing religious about having a relationship with Jesus. You can't judge me for being religious because I know this guy. <laughs> I spoke to him today. You know, he shared his heart with me. You know, I'm one with him. People cannot judge your religion because you know a person. But religion is actually one of the most evil and divisive forces on earth. It's not the Satanists. You think, if you think of all the other religions in this world, they all have the same thing in common. It's, it's follow this teaching and, and follow this way, you know. Look at Buddhism stuff and, and follow this path, you know, and you may find enlightenment. You know, it's always about, it's always about a teaching. And, and, and Jesus Christ, and Christianity is different from all that because it says, it didn't say follow my teaching, it said follow me. He said, I'm it. If you've, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen God if you've seen me. I mean, that's very bold to proclaim. The Father and I are one. There's another thing that he proclaimed. So Christianity is the only faith that gives you the assurance that you have actually found God. No other, no other faith, no other religion offers assurance. It's always, it's always a pattern. It's always a way. And you might get there and you might have paradise and enlightenment and nirvana and all these, all these things. You know, and you figure it out yourself and do what's best for you. Christianity it's him. And all religions are, are defined by this. It's, it's by what I do, I become. And, th and that's a trap. I've, I've got to earn it. I've got to work it up. You know? I've got to have some kind of involvement, some kind of control of my destiny. You know? If I do these things, I get accepted. I find favor with God. And those things. I'm holy you know, if I do these things. It's meaning about what I do and what I know instead about what Christ has done. Mankind's hunger and thirst for knowledge and religion, this actually dates all the way um, back to the garden. It's funny how we're talking about the two trees in the garden a, a few weeks in a row. Scott even mentioned it last week. So there were two trees in the garden. And there was the tree of the knowledge, of good and evil, and the tree of life. And here, here's Adam, he, he's left with a choice. Now the thing you need to understand about Adam is that Adam... He didn't have the life of Christ in him. Otherwise, why was he given the choice to, to receive that life? So Adam was perfect morally, but, but Adam was actually immature spiritually. And he chose to seek knowledge instead of the life of Christ, and then he lost the nature that he had. And that, that same hunger and thirst for knowledge that is in mankind sits with us. There is, a, there is a desire to be religious. It's, a, it's an inherent brokenness in us. We need to recognize that we have the capacity to miss God because of this, this hunger and this desire, this brokenness that we inherited from, from Adam. And it's a reminder that we must focus on eating of the tree of life 
and communing with our Lord instead of being filled and filled with teaching after teaching after teaching, missing what he is saying from his own heart. So your, your soul hungers and thirsts for knowledge. Even the Bible says this. But your spirit wants the Lord. Your spirit wants Jesus. Your soul wants to touch, feel, taste, control. It likes these things. It takes pleasure in these things. But your spirit wants to mature. It wants to go from being a child of God to a man of God and to a, to a woman of God. And it, the only way to do that is to receive more of Him. See, knowledge can puff, knowledge can puff us up and make us spiritually blind. And we want to know things so we can control and rule. And Jesus challenged the religious community on this in, in John 5, 39 through 40. This is Jesus. He's speaking to the, to the religious priests, the Pharisees. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think by having this tradition and you've been the chosen carriers of God's word that you, you, you have life because you've, you've got the scriptures. You've got the scrolls like you've arrived. He says, these are the scriptures that bear witness about me. He said, yet you, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What kind of life is he offering? He's offering his own life, his own spirit to them. He says, the Bible talked about me coming to you and here I am right in front of you. You can't recognize it. You're so blind because you're so puffed up with your knowledge. And this is the war between the flesh and the spirit, or otherwise known as knowledge versus life. This is also highlighted in the book of Genesis. So this, this, takes, this is Genesis 3, um, verse 14, 15. Um, this is after man had disobeyed God, he had sinned, and now comes the judgment. Judgment is coming on the serpent, and judgment is coming on Adam and Eve. And the Lord said to the serpent, says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. So what is enmity? That is, that is hatred, that is hostility, uh, malice. You know, those things bring division. So what is the seed of the woman? The seed of the woman we know will bear the Son of God. That is Christ. That is the seed of a woman. What is the seed of the serpent? It's not Satan. The seed of the serpent is the religious. Don't you know that the first murder that committed on this earth was a religious murder between Cain and Abel? One was offering up a spotless lamb which represented Christ and one was offering up his own efforts, his own farming efforts. And there was jealousy that led to death. But let's look later on in the New Testament how we see the manifestation of the seed of the serpent. So in Matthew 3, verse 7, John the Baptist is addressing the religious of the day. It says, when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people, coming to his baptisms, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Okay, this is the offspring of the serpent. He called them vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then Jesus says the same things in Matthew 12, 34. He says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And John 8, 
Jesus, again, addressing the same issue, 843-44. says, why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. So, so who is the offspring of the serpent? It's, it's the religious people. Okay? And the same religious spirit seeks today. It comes into our churches. It's in a lot of the, the traditional churches. And it, and, it, and it comes into our churches and brings division amongst us. You know, because I don't want to associate you because I know some things and you don't quite agree with what I know and I know more than you. You know? I've become puffed up and proud because of all these teachings. Right? And many false teachers feed into this. You know, their teachings are rooted in, you know, follow me, follow my teaching. We follow the Lord. They, they, they create fame for themselves. A lot of the, the teachers, you know, we follow that it's about them. Um, even their ministries are named after them. You know, they, they want to, religion's a business. Make good money out of it, you know. Create fame and fortune for yourselves. And, and, and we listen to those things and we think it's good. And I'm not knocking every you know, single name ministry or so-and-so ministry. But a lot of them are giving glory to themselves. And we don't even know, we don't know those people. We don't walk with them. We don't know their lives. We don't know the character or the call that they have taken up or not. And I've even noticed, um, and this may sound harsh for some, I've even noticed, I'm American. I've been here like 26 years. I married an Afrikaner. Guru Macy, because I'm so clever. <laughs> and, and I've noticed within a lot of the Afrikaans community, you have the Dutch Reform and a lot of the traditional churches, very religious, and, and those people get gloriously saved and they experience being born again and they experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And slowly but surely they start tipping into like Jewish teachings and, and you must say Yeshua and not Jesus because that's more powerful. And start embracing some of the Old Testament feasts and traditions that they're going to be more blessed by doing that or more, find more favor uh, from God by doing that. It's the same spirit just going from one tradition to another one. You know, pray for the peace of Israel so, so it will go well and, and you will prosper. So you do these things, you know, to be blessed. Jesus actually prophesied against the peace of Israel. If you read Matthew 23, it says, Jerusalem... Jerusalem, how, how long to gather you like a hen gathers your chicks? Desolate you shall be. There will never be peace in Israel any longer. They, they had their chance. There's a new covenant that's been established. There will be a new heaven and a new Jerusalem established. And so if you think that prosperity is going to come to you because you do these things by embracing Jewish traditions, it's deception. I'm sorry. You know, I myself was caught up in this thing, I was in a whole messianic church for a number of years, and, and I'll get into that. But I, I don't want, to, don't hear what I'm not saying. If you have a heart for Israel and you want to pray for them, because that's a genuine motivation you put on your heart, go for it. You know, if, if it moves your heart for the Netherlands, if it moves your heart for the Chinese, if it moves your heart for whoever, French people, and, and you want to pray for them, and you want to go there and you know be a blessing, then, then that's what God is motivating you to do. That's fine. Yeah, so that we, we do know that there will be a remnant in Israel. I know people who have left this church because we didn't do enough Jewish teaching or enough. We didn't talk about Israel enough. 
Yeah. We can't ignore our heritage. We, we are blessed to be grafted into to the foundation they have laid. But there's no, nothing you can do on this earth that will make you more spiritual. Okay? Only Christ makes you spiritual. So no, no Jewish tradition or anything is going to make you more spiritually mature or more in favor with God. Amen? So how do you, how do you know that if you've been deceived by false doctrines? You actually don't, because you, you, <laughs> you're deceived. How do you know if you have a blind spot? Well, you have no idea, because you're blind. Somebody actually needs to tell you. Somebody who actually will, may challenge you. Okay? So I've got seven points or seven warning signs to help you identify if you have been deceived by false teachings. Okay, number one is that you, you, you keep trying to convince others about what you have learned. So I was in this, so I learned some new information, and I was just trying to get everybody to believe in my new information so I'd feel better about myself. You know, if you can convince others, then you actually feel secure. Number two, or, or opposite, you have a pet doctrine, but you keep it a secret because you know you may be challenged. You know? So you've got this little belief, little, little thing you hang on to. People talk about one thing, and like, I don't really agree with that, but I'm just going to keep this little, little doctrine, a little secret here. Number three is that you are divided from the rest of the body. Even, even in your own spouse, I've seen uh, married couples, you know, a husband or wife will be very much believing in a in specific doctrine, and it's caused like division in their marriage. Okay? Does God want to divide your marriage? No. The enemy does. Number four is, is you also get into religious arguments, and, and anger is displayed. I've, I've had like conversations about beliefs and doctrines and stuff, and people just, you know, just like, you know, because your, your heart is, is caught up in it, and it's offensive when it gets challenged. And if, it, and if anger is displayed, that's not, that's not from God. Or sometimes you think like the majority of Christians, you know, they have it wrong, but, you know, I've got this teaching, and I'm, I'm right. Number five is the fact that you're simply not free. Because doctrines obviously bring a lot of confusion, and God is not the author of confusion. And number six is that you see what you want to see in Scripture, or you, or you twist the Scriptures to fit your ideologies. I've also been in, in churches like that. they just like, this is what it's saying, but it's not really what it means, and then they twist it and kind of pull out all these you know, ways to get around it. A lot, a lot of the guys, the false teachers, are very good teachers, very good speakers, and very convincing. Um, and number seven is that you completely avoid large portions of scriptures because it challenges uh, your beliefs and ideologies. And those are just cues. It's something, it's something struck you now. You know, if you've been entertaining something, you know, and, and you're kind of fitting into some of these categories, it's saying, hey, you need to work this stuff out. Um, this is my own walk in this. I've been deceived twice in my life. Maybe many times, but two, two that I know of. <laughs> I, was, I was saved for about three years, and um, I got caught up in the whole Messianic movement. I was working in Seapoint, and my two partners, they were Jewish. And even next to our office was the, the shul, the rabbi. His office was there, and he was from California. And so we'd often have all these conversations and stuff. So I had a real heart for the, the Jews. And 
And then I got connected to uh, a Messianic church, and I was still going to, like, I got born again in a Christian church, but I was doing this on the Friday, you know, the Sabbath, and all, I mean, the Shabbat and all that. And, um, and, and I started to love it, you know, I love the songs, and I love the traditions, and we even wear a yarmulke sometimes, and I think I'm like my wife, wearing a yarmulke, I don't know. yeah. And, you know, because there's, there's beauty in it, too, um, don't get me wrong. And there's interesting things. But we cannot marvel at the arrow that points to Christ. You know, he fulfilled a lot of these things. I mean, Scott was saying the other day, he filled, fulfilled the book of Leviticus. And, and we get caught up in this stuff that was just to, to point. There were types and shadows to point to the Lord. And now we found the Lord. Why do we want to go back to the, to the arrow that was pointing to him? You know, there's no life in the arrow. There's life in Christ. And, and I started to see um, a lot of the teachings and stuff about you know embracing a lot of the feasts and the festivals and the traditions and, and putting high esteem of a Jewish people and they were more honored than normal people, you know? Put it this way. If, if a Mexican calls on Jesus, will God hear the cry of his heart or only if he says Yeshua? <laughs> He's going to answer the cry of their heart. It's not about the accuracy of, of their tradition. And so I started to see like weird stuff happening there. And I also noticed that I didn't see the supernatural. I didn't see the prophetic. I didn't see the, the supernatural flowing in, in, in this Messianic church. Um, it was, there was a lot of life and, and a lot of cool things, but then there was like something. And I often heard when guys preach that we're walking in the supernatural and we're carrying like the word of the Lord and prophecy. They would speak against like some of the things that we were about. And so I, I walked away from that. And, and about 10 years later, um, I, got, I got deceived again, where uh, I was a bit dissatisfied in the church I was in, and a friend of mine was going to another church on a Sunday night, and, and it was this hyper-grace thing, and I didn't even know what there was a thing as hyper-grace, um, kind of newish at the time, and it was so fascinating, and there was so much no intense knowledge and amazing, and, 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 and what it did is... I had all these, I was there for like a year, and I started like listening to all these teachings, and they were very different, you know, like all the words of Jesus was Old Testament stuff, and he was hold that lightly, and you know, he was talking to the Jewish people, and, you know, and, and that kind of hurts, you know, when you say like, but these are Christ's words, Why, how could you just like sweep it away and undo it, you know, and all this stuff, like, like sin doesn't exist anymore, so you don't need to repent, because he's taken away the sins of the world, so I found myself starting to swear more, and drink more, and stuff I struggled with. I never struggled with in 10 years. I started struggling with like, What is all this stuff? And so you, you're playing with these teachings and stuff. And what happened is, is I gave my heart to it. And the moment I did that, you get like married to it. And, and, and everything you see after that is through this filter of that false teaching or that lie. And, and I was doing these seven points. I mean, that was me. Like I was trying to convince people on this stuff. And I was avoiding scriptures. And I couldn't read the book of James. And, ah, it's too much condemnation there. And, you know, and I, but, but this was like an evening church and I had a family with young kids, but we need to be with a community church and where are our kids going to go to kids church. And so we came into Josh Jen. I had all these other ideas and I remember that first message. I was like, oh, these guys don't have a clue. You know, I know so much more. And I was like, Lord, maybe you sent me to help them. Like, cause like clearly, clearly no, it was genuine. I was like, Lord, do you want me to, to help them? Like, did you bring me here to help them? Because they clearly need to know some stuff. And then missing it. And he said, the Lord said, thank goodness he spoke. He, he, said, he said, no, just, just sit there. And so I sat there in Josh Jen for, for a couple of years. 
and, and they had a different kind of angle on the gospel than what I was comfortable with and what I liked. But I still had this like pet doctrine. And even in conflict meetings and stuff like that, and the guy would be teaching my own, like he's off track here. And eventually we ended up actually leading communities and stuff. And, and I found myself, I was in the church, but I wasn't in. I, I was with us, but I wasn't pulling with you. I wasn't fully buying into the apostolic message. I wasn't fully buying into to what Russell, Russell was leading the church at the time. And I, I wasn't free. So I'm here for years, but I'm not like, here. What's the, what's the point of the, holding on to this thing? And even Andrew in one meeting said, that, you know what, there's no way that all of us, all the elders, all their doctrines aren't going to align perfectly. But the core stuff we have in common, you know, and the little things, the little differences we have to hold loosely because the enemy will use that to divide us. We can't be pulling together or pulling in different directions. We need to be pulling together. And so in this one meeting, um, it was worship time, you know, and the Holy Spirit was moving. I came up to the front. And uh, I don't even know what the ministry call was. And Russell was there, and he said, John, he, says, he just started prophesying over me. He said, I, I see you going from, like, red light to, like, orange light, and, like, red light into orange light. And God says the light is green. He wants you to go. He wants you to run. He wants you to run with his people. He said, it's like you're holding on to the reins of the horses. He's like, holding on, holding on to the reins, holding back, holding back. And I was. I was resisting God. I don't believe them fully. I don't believe what they're teaching fully, so I wasn't fully buying in. I'm here, but, like, I'm not here. And, and he just said, John, let go of the reins. He wants you to run with the horses. And he put his hand on me, and I just flopped on the ground and just started howling. Howling and scream, screaming, actually. Now, she heard me. She was in kids' church, and there was this. Ah! I was like, all that resistance. I was resisting God because of my ideas and beliefs and ideologies. And I, and I didn't want, this is the family you brought me into. And I wasn't accepting of it. And I feel that with, with some people here at times, too, we let little things actually hold us back. Little grudges we hold on to. So I'm not going to buy into this church and where it's going. I'm not going to give my whole heart to the kingdom of God because I don't like this and I like that. And I like the drummer and, you know, like stupid stuff. Sorry. Where's the drummers? We love his sideburns and his mustache and the long hair. We love your passion. Go for God. Go for it. He's made you unique and creative and amazing. Look, they're both sitting together, the drummers. You know? I mean, we don't even have a cross here. I'm like, how can the church not have a cross? Like, with the cross, you know? You know, like, we can easily, uh, little things hold us back from us pulling together. So, I just want to encourage us to let go and let God. And just, just, you know, if you're new here, there's been a lot of people added to the church and stuff, and you have different backgrounds and different teachings and stuff like that, allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart. Don't hold on to the small things. Because God has a big plan for the church at large and, and the church in Josh Jim.